Welcome to HJ Talks About Social Housing, a dedicated podcast series from our social housing team at Hugh James. In this podcast, we talk about the latest sector developments and topical issues to help provide some practical guidance on all aspects affecting housing associations. We are lawyers, so we will touch on the legal standpoints surrounding the topics, but don't worry, we'll keep the legal ease to a minimum. Hi, I'm Tracy Singlehurst Ward. I'm a partner in the dispute resolution here at Hugh James, and I'm here today with my colleague Abigail Flanagan. Hi, Abby. Hi there. Hi, Abby is one of our senior associates, and Abby, Abby and I work together very closely in a, in a wide range of disputes. And with Hugh James Housing Week, we've been talking about some of our experiences over the last year or so, and some things that we're seeing frequently coming up. Now, Abby, one of the problems we've been seeing quite a lot is. Uh, in the housing sector particular, is problems that people are having in dealing with their contractors of, of various kinds, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. We've seen a range of problems that the sector seem to be facing at the moment in managing contracts and really just getting the service that they want and that they'd hoped for. Um, these problems have ranged from small one-off issues to wider ranging issues with an entire service. From memory, this year alone, I think we've dealt with issues of gardening and landscape contractors, parking contracts, scaffolders and maintenance contracts. And given the nature of the work we do, of course, in all instances, something's gone wrong in the contractual relationship. In light of those, we thought we'd talk through some of our recent experience, the most common problems we've seen, how to avoid those problems, and when they can't be avoided, how best to deal with them. Great. Yeah. Well, I mean, from you and I know from our experience that um, by the time people have come to see us, uh, it's already gone wrong, unfortunately. And the reality is that prevention is always better than cure, isn't it? So um, I've been giving some thought to our top tips and you and I have had a chat about this um, recently over some experience. And my thoughts are that the first thing to do um, is to look at how these things can be avoided and doing the right groundwork at the contracting stage. So before you've got your piece of paper and you're signing a service provider up, get your ducks in a line. So um, I know that we've always got to be careful about procurement considerations and they've got to be borne in mind. But subject to those, in line with them, it's critical that if if contractors are going to be uh, awarded any kind of contract, whether it's a large one, a framework for a long period for um, a lot of services, uh, or even just a one-off contract, that they make sure that that contract's appropriate. Do you agree? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think the key to this is that proper due diligence before entering into the contract is really important. Um, You need to think about simple things like making sure you know exactly who you're dealing with. Are they a sole trader? Are they a company? If they're a company, who are the people behind it? What's its history? What's its reputation? How secure are they? Um, what assets do they have? You really best advice is that you really should get to know who it is you're going to contract with. And once you then get to the stage of entering into the contract, I think then the most common pitfall that we're seeing is a failure to properly specify what service you're after and what pricing structure's been agreed. Yeah, I've definitely seen that a few times. In fact, I remember you dealing with a case about this um, just this year. What happened in that one? Yeah, so so that's a case where there was a real issue over um, lack of clarity in the pricing structure for services. Uh, the, the background of the case was that a supplier was awarded a tender 
And at the time they submitted their tender application, they put in an original pricing structure. They then realised that they'd got the pricing wrong and very, very quickly put in an amended pricing structure, which they sought to rely on and which was used during the evaluation um, of the tender stage. They were awarded the tender and a contract was then drawn up. But the wrong pricing schedule was put into the contract and terms in the contract suggested that the contract had precedent. Um, that matter is currently being litigated. And the question now for the parties is, are the parties bound by the pricing structure originally considered at the evaluation stage of the tender or are they um, bound by the pricing schedule which is attached to the contract? It's a tricky one, isn't it? And, you know, it just goes to show that being clear about the pricing and exactly what you're expecting from the contractors is key. And I think that's something that sounds really simple, but but it's something that so easily can go wrong. It's, you know, we have to look at um, making sure that the right contracts are sent out, that the right pricing is put in the right version of the document and things like that. Um, So getting them issued and getting them signed up um, is is critical, um, and quite often we see things aren't signed up to, or there's unsigned or draft documents floating around. I know you and I have dealt with that a few times, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, another issue I see often um, arises from reporting and quality control, and what I'm thinking by this is that you know, clients often come to us and say, "Look, this person's not doing the job that I thought." Um, And it's critical to keep an eye on what you're getting. So, for example, I had to deal with a case this year um, where a a landscaping contract had been entered into. So this is someone who's cutting the trees, doing the plants, maintaining the communal areas in the housing situation. And tenants were complaining because things weren't being done. If they were being done, an awful mess was being left. And, you know, this is a typical scenario for some of our clients. What do they do about it? How do you keep track and and so forth? Um, And the reality is, again, this can be helped by some of the preparatory work in the contract. And if, if there are provisions in there which provide for inspections and require reporting, keep detailed worksheets so that you know who's been on site, have they been there when they're meant to be there, and gives you an opportunity to police it, then it's much easier to handle the situation when things creep into going wrong. And um, my experience, you know, in in that case where complaints were being lodged was it did lead to this issue of overbilling. So quite rightly, if the situation was that people weren't turning up to do the gardening, then the client felt they were being overbilled for it. Um, we've also seen instances of duplicate invoicing and so forth. So my top tip in relation to that and what would have avoided the case I had to deal with was having proper systems in place to check. So you want a, a, a clear line of reporting within the contract and you want a clear invoicing system that enables you to keep an eye on those contractors Um Appropriate contract management is key. So a contract manager and responsible people on both sides of the fence um, is always a a real help um, so that someone is responsible on both sides for keeping an eye on the the service that you're getting. Um, And if things are a little bit more high value and, and so forth, then audit requirements are really useful. We've seen those used time and again um, 
to ensure that you can go out and check that the service you're getting is is appropriate and if it isn't that you've got an ability to to call them up on it um it's if that is in the contract and you've got the provision to to call them up then it's much easier to do so without having a formal dispute yeah i totally agree i think all those things are really important um another thing that i've seen over the over the last few months particularly is uh, issues when clients are looking to get out of a contract um contracts are drawn so there's not in my view not enough flexibility sometimes for clients to get out of a contract if things are starting to go wrong um, often it's relatively straightforward to get out of a contract if um, a contractor is being grossly um, sort of grossly in breach. Uh, but often I think clients get a sense that the contract is going wrong and that the contractor isn't um, living up to their expectations. Although, although at that point often nothing disastrous has happened. Um, and sometimes clients can find it very difficult to get out of a contract at that stage. So we examine contracts, but often find that there's no way to get out clearly just at the client's discretion if they just feel that something's going wrong. Um, so I suppose one of my top tips would be to consider the termination provisions and consider whether it's appropriate to have a sort of no-fault termination provision. That makes perfect sense. And in fact, it makes me think of another example that I've had um, this year um, where a, a, a parking contractor had been engaged to um, police non-residence parking um, at a site owned by a particular association. Now, things started to go wrong in that case, partly because of the service, uh, again, because tenants were complaining uh, about being not permitted to park when they should have been permitted, for example. Um, and quite frankly, there was just not a need for the service anymore. But the contract was such that everybody was tied in and tied in for a very long period of time. And there was no obvious way out of it. You know, no, no ability to simply put your hand up and say, this isn't working. I'd like to serve notice to, to bring it to an end and, and give a reasonable period. So it might have been, you know, the contract could have said, you can end this by giving a month's notice. But in, in this case, it simply didn't. And just as you said, Ab, you know, we had to look then through, is this really a falling out? Is it is it just the case that we don't want it anymore? Or is there a reason that we've fallen out? And effectively, could we accuse the other side of breaching the contract in order to, to give a legal right to get out of it? And it's it's always really messy. So, I mean, I think there's some things that we would always say people can do to avoid that situation, don't you think? Yeah, certainly. I think um, the sort of historically, perhaps in contracts, there have just been standard termination provisions if there's been some, you know, gross breach of contract. But I think um, that clients need to look at having termination provisions, which is suitable for the type of service that they're actually looking to procure. Um, so I think that it would be sensible for clients to consider whether or not they want to build in an ability within the contract to terminate um, by simply giving a month's notice or, or perhaps three months notice. Um, it, it, would, it might be that a notice provision, a termination, termination provision of this sort is a benefit to both parties, or it might just be a benefit to the buyer's side. Um, and what type of provision you're likely to get will depend on your buying power within the contract. Um, 
But I think clients need to think about what would happen if the service was terminated? How quickly could they find an alternative? Uh, they need to think about questions like how serious would it be if they were served with notice? And how much flexibility do they want in the contract versus how much security do they want? Uh, for example, if a client's gone through a costly tender process, then they might feel that they want a fixed-term contract to justify the cost of the tender process. But in other cases, in smaller service contracts of smaller value, you may feel that you want more flexibility. That makes perfect sense, and I definitely echo and agree that. So, you know, I think it covers quite a lot of ground, I suppose, are some of the big issues that kept you and I busy and, you know, um, I don't complain about being busy, but as I say, it's the bad end of things. <laughs> um, are those pricing arguments, the poor service, the overbilling, and that inability to terminate services when you don't need them or when they're going wrong. So, I mean, I suppose it's easy for us to sit here, isn't it, and talk about the ideal world of how we try and head those off before they rise. Um, and, you know, definitely I stress time and again, but investing a little more effort in the contractual documents in that dialogue and getting that clarity before you press the go button is really worthwhile. It, you know, a little effort now can save an awful lot later. But the reality is that's not always possible. And there's often a battle of terms and conditions. You and I see that where one side puts forward, we'll, we'll do business on this basis. And the other side puts something on the back of their invoice and says, no, it's on this basis. And that creates a whole raft of other problems. Um, but also sometimes it's just not realistic to have the perfect world and the perfect contract signed up and, and ready to rely upon. Sometimes contracts are unclear or the things that you hadn't thought about uh, or they're not signed or they don't have the perfect clauses. Um, and we've got plenty of experience of dealing with things once they've gone wrong too, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think probably the important message here is that you should um, do something when things start to go wrong. You should take action and act quickly. And, and the top tips I think come out of today is that you should think about exactly what you want from the contract before you enter into it and properly and fully set out what each party's obligations are. And then if things go wrong, as I said, act quickly, don't just ignore it. We find in all of the cases that we deal with that the longer things are ignored, the worse they tend to get. And sometimes, quite inadvertently, the situation is just made much worse. Yeah, that makes me think of another case that we dealt with together earlier this year. Um, and you probably remember this service provider we had who'd signed up to a contract to provide uh, an online service that um, looked like it was all bells and whistles when and both sides entered into it, but actually it turned out it wasn't great and not very fit for purpose and didn't do the job that um, our client had hoped. So very quickly it became clear that there was a need to get out of that one and, and bring it to an end. Um, but advice wasn't taken quickly uh, and, and all the matter, you know, gets put to the bottom of the pile on the desk, understandably, everybody's very busy. Um, but the consequence of that in the case that we saw this year was that an auto-renewal provision caught our client up for an ad additional year. So because they hadn't dealt with it quickly on their desk, services carried on floating by for the whole year. And they would have been able to get out of things if they picked up on the problem, acted on it and served a notice to bring it to an end before the end of the first year. 
uh, all would have been tickety-boo, but they missed that deadline and missing a deadline sometimes catches you into that new period and it did in this case. So I definitely echo what you're saying. Don't delay on dealing with these things. Try and get stuck into them as soon as you've got a suspicion. Um, so I think yeah. you know, based on that, there's some other key top, top tips we've probably got. Yeah, I agree. I, I think probably linked to that, the first top tip would be that as soon as you feel that there's a problem or as soon as you're concerned about the contract that or the, the service you're being provided, then look at the contract and see what the contract says about, you know, how you can act. Um, does the contract give you an express way of dealing with the issue? Are there ways in which you can... Um, get the contractor to change their behaviour or or if you know things are going terribly wrong, is there a quick way of you being able to get out of the contract? Equally, if you think that there's something that can be remedied in the con in the service that you're being provided with, is there a dispute resolution provision within the contract that allows the parties to um, sort of talk about the issues and manage a way forward? Um, can the dispute resolution be escalated internally between the parties? Um, is there a contract manager on both sides who are available to discuss and and deal with the issues? Um, if you are finding that there's an issue, I think another top tip is to try and collect as much evidence as you can as quickly as you can. So if as soon as you think that there's a problem with the service, start recording the issues, keep records, keep emails, keep worksheets. I think sometimes probably they'll just be small problems to start with that then escalate. So the more history you've got of those issues, the better. Um, you know the the obvious answer then if things are wrong is that you should seek early legal advice I think a lot of clients can be put off by the thought of having to seek legal advice and the potential cost that might be incurred with that but the cost saving of getting legal advice quickly I think um it is is really worthwhile and one thing the parties need to think about which I've um talked about slightly earlier is considering what dispute resolution clauses that there are can you go to ADR could you go to mediation often mediation can be a great alternative because it gives you a way to try and deal with the matter that you might not be entitled to if court proceedings are issued um, so mediation is often a really good way of trying to remedy any dispute and of course, always as a last resort, if none of the above work, then you can look at litigation. Um, litigation and issuing proceedings is a really useful tool if it's needed. But sadly, it's often disproportionate in cost, um, given the sum of money that you might be arguing over. Uh, so I think those are probably the top tips that I take away from today. Yeah, look, that's a really helpful checklist. I'm going to write them all down for myself to use in future. <laughs> but look, I, I think that sums up exactly what we've been seeing over the last year. And I suspect what we're going to see, particularly in the current climate with COVID over the next year or two, you know, um, demand uh, and policing of things is becoming ever more prevalent. Um, people want value for money. They want to ensure things are uh, going right. But all the more reason to make sure we follow those top tips. And, and remember that, 
that line, prevention is better than cure. I don't want to talk myself out of a job or you, but um, it's not nice to see clients coming in saying, look, we've got this problem, it's really gone wrong and it's going to be really expensive to solve. Investment in that early early um, contractual arrangements and making sure they're spot on is really going to save people a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy down the line. And one thing that we've seen in some of our cases this year is it's not just the financial cost, but it's the people cost once you get into a dispute, which can be the most draining uh, in terms of sucking people up. So um, follow those top tips. I think we would hope then, Abby, like between us, I expect to see less of people coming and darkening our doors with with problems <laughs> but if anybody does need our help of course we're able to do that and um, steer them through either the prevention or the cure process hopefully so it's great to talk to you today Ab. and you and you bye then bye if you would like to take part in the conversation suggest a topic or need some further guidance for your organization please get in touch at socialhousing at hjtalks.co.uk. For more information on Hugh James and the services we offer, visit hughjames.com or check us out on Twitter at PropertyHJ.